the courage doesn't come first. And I think that's something that I didn't understand until I started my own podcast. And if you're not embarrassed about like what you did last year or things you said last year, then you're not growing. So you're never going to avoid embarrassment. You know, you're always going to be having those things in the back of your mind like, oh, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. But putting myself out there has helped me move on from that much more quickly where it's like, you don't need to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. People don't expect that from you. And if you do embarrass yourself for whatever, that's okay. Move on. Learn how to just like let it go. Thomas Edison, Richard Branson, John F. Kennedy, Mozart, Michael Jordan, Will Smith. That sounds like a list of highly successful titans in a variety of vocations. Why is it that we rarely hear that they have or had ADHD? And you know what we hear even less about? Serena Williams, Emma Watson, Mel Robbins, Whoopi Goldberg, Agatha Christie, Aaron Brockovich, Cher. Yeah, the successful women navigating ADHD. And that's exactly why I started this podcast, ADHD for Smartass Women. I'm your host, Tracy Otsuka. I'm a lawyer, not a doctor, a lifelong student, now a coach. I'm also the creator of Your ADHD Brain is A-OK, a system that helps people like you figure out what they should do with their life. And we're here today to talk ADHD, your strengths, your symptoms, your workarounds, and how you proudly stand out instead of trying to fit in. I credit my ADHD for some of my greatest gifts. And you know what? I spy a happier life for you too. So without further ado, a shiny new episode is starting now. Hello, I am your host, Tracy Otsuka. Thank you so much for joining me here for episode 181 of ADHD for Smartass Women. I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast and our newsletter over at tracyoutsuka.com. My purpose is always to show you who you are and then inspire you to be it. In the thousands of ADHD women that I've had the privilege of meeting, I've never met a one that wasn't truly brilliant at something. Not one. So for all of these reasons, I am so delighted to introduce you to Grace Bore. Grace, am I pronouncing your name correctly? Yes, actually, you nailed it. <laughs> You'd think <laughs> I would know how to pronounce your last name by now. Anyway, Grace is my amazing podcast producer here on ADHD for Smartass Women. She is also the writer, editor, and co-host of her own podcast called Weirds of a Feather, which she created with her childhood best friend, Kristen, where they chat about the ridiculous, frustrating, and hilarious aspects of life with ADHD. Before joining the podcast world, Grace earned her bachelor's and master's degrees in communication sciences and disorders and worked as a speech-language pathologist in elementary and preschools across the country. When she got burned out from the school system, she switched to UX writing, short for user experience, and worked for Microsoft for a year before somehow serendipitously 
ending up here, and thank God for that. Grace now lives back in her home state of Maine with her husband, Ian, and dog, Lucy, both of whom are also ADHD. Yeah, I think I have a dog with ADHD, too. In her free time, she likes to paddleboard, hike, collect animal bones, and make weird art, among many other hobbies. Grace, did I get all that right? Yes, Tracy, you got it. Okay, good. So I am trying to remember how we actually met. And I think it was something like I was on Jenna Kutcher's Gold Digger podcast, and I was so impressed at how amazingly organized the whole experience was. So I reached out to her podcast producer, Kylie, and I said, can you recommend anyone? And I think Kylie had some sort of podcast producer training program. And I'm not sure if you were connected to that or not, or you were a friend of hers, but she introduced me to you. And oh my gosh, my life is so much easier since I met you. And I think the podcast is so much better because of you as well. But before we talk about any of that, I want to talk first about your ADHD diagnosis. Is that okay? Yep, we can do that. Wonderful. So Welcome. Um, Again, Grace, I'm just so delighted to have you here. And um, yeah, you have no idea how, how much better my life is because of you, but we'll talk about that. So can we talk about your ADHD diagnoses first? Yes. So So, I was, okay, go ahead. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Two ADHD women here. This will be, well, it's always two ADHD women. What am I talking about? (laughs) Go for it. Uh, All right. So I was not diagnosed until I was 24. And even then, I didn't really like understand what that really meant for me until I was 29. But I'll go back to the beginning. So growing up, I was impulsive, uh, pretty hyperactive. My mom always blamed it on my asthma meds because I've had asthma since I was pretty much born. And she always just chalked my hyperactivity up to asthma meds. But now looking back, it's pretty obvious that was ADHD. And growing up, I was a big reader, and so I was put into the literature program in elementary school, which was like a, I don't know, high-level reading class. And it really just kind of killed my love of reading because now it's within an academic structure, and now I have to do it, so I don't want to. So just as I got older and older, I think there was kind of that pressure on me of, oh, you're a, you're a smart kid. You're a big reader. And that really led to a lot of behaviors in school. I was, you know, a bit of a troublemaker. I became a class clown when I hit middle school. I was kind of not big things, but I was always getting to like little trouble. Um, And I had most teachers, eh, probably as I got older, did not like me. <laughs> Some did, <laughs> but most of them did not like me. I was, you know, I had attitude. I was moved down from my soccer team, from the A team to the B team because of my bad attitude. So it was just a lot of little things like that that really just made me not like school and not feel like trying. So I feel like so, by the time I hit high school. So when you say bad attitude, um, what did that look like? Well, here's what I remember happening is that I was actually, I was, I'm pretty naturally athletic. So I was really good at sports when I was a little kid. But I always found practice boring because once I master a skill, okay, I'm ready to move on to the next one. But, you know, with a big team practice. You have to do all the drills. You have to do these things over and over every day. And I just didn't like that. I, you know, I'm, and I'm sure part of it was that I was a little cocky and was like, I don't need to practice, but I think I just wasn't being challenged in the right way. And I was bored. And so then I started kind of, I think 
mouthing off to my coaches a little bit and feeling like, you know, I didn't need to do what everyone else was doing. So I was moved down to the B team on my travel soccer team. And that actually did kind of, I think, kick me into gear a little bit of realizing you may be good at sports, but you can't keep pulling this attitude. You know, it's still good to practice, but I do wish I had had someone who could have kind of worked with that and helped me add on more skills and keep it fun instead of just kind of making it monotonous and making me kind of shut down. Well, and do you think that part of the reason, I mean, I get that we have to practice, but were the practice drills, frankly, just below your level and so you weren't getting much out of it? Yes. Yeah. I think that's what was happening. After a few times, I was like, all right, I got this. I'm ready to move on. And that's not really how it works on a team sport. So are you one of um, many siblings or? I have a younger sister, Lily. I believe she's also ADHD. I think my parents are also ADHD. (laughs) We're kind of a little quirky family. Um, But Lily was the same way with sports also. She, you know, had, she was very good, had an attitude. And we both have always had trouble with transitions. So getting us to practice or go to games was really probably a nightmare for my parents. Okay. So were you thought of as the really bright kid who didn't apply themselves? Were your teachers saying things to your parents like, she's so smart. I don't understand why she's so unmotivated. Yep, exactly. Especially because of the reading thing. You know, it was the whole, oh, well, if you can achieve this much in this area, you must be able to do that in all areas. And obviously, we know that's not how it works because I wasn't excited about math or history or whatever. I love to read, but I'm, you know, I have that bad short term memory. I'm not good with names. So I wasn't really reading to have this complex analysis of the text and what characters did this and the themes. I just wanted to read for the enjoyment. And so I think once it became, based in schoolwork where now you had to like produce answers and really have this specific analysis of the text, I just kind of shut down and I wasn't interested in it. And I think that happened with most subjects in school. Well, yeah, because we know how important fun is for our brains, right? The minute you Mm -hmm. make it not fun, it's like, screw that. I don't want to do it. Yep. And that's why I was goofing around in class because I was just trying to make it fun. I was bored. I was, I was either you know, felt like I was way ahead of everyone. Like, all right, yep, I got this concept. Let's move on. Or I was really behind people and I didn't really understand what was going on, but I didn't really know how to ask those questions. And I felt like I shouldn't have to ask the questions because I'm a smart kid. So I should just know this. So I think that led to a lot of my just kind of goofing off and not taking it seriously, partially because I think I was embarrassed that, wait a minute, I'm a smart kid. I should be able to do this in all subjects. So that, yeah, that led to just me not caring as much. That is really interesting, and I can completely relate to that, because when you already have this identity and you've bought into it, and then you can't figure things out because it's just not your thing, you really start to question, am I smart at all, right? Am I smart in any subjects? Because why am I so damn inconsistent? Mm, Yep, yep. I definitely had that, and that's lasted with me, you know, throughout my whole schooling career. It In high school, I didn't really put in much effort. In college, I felt like I didn't put in much effort. And I've always kind of said I felt like I cheated my way through school Mm -hmm. because I I don't know. I feel like I wasn't. And that's probably mostly my mindset of my idea of what productivity looks like, what hard work looks like. I think I was still putting in effort. I got really good grades, so I must have been doing something. But I think my idea of how productive I should be just didn't match up with what I was doing. And so I think I kind of just like skated by because I could. Hmm. So what did you end up studying when you started college? And, and was it ultimately with the same major that you graduated college with? 
So I went into college. I went to the University of Maine in Orono, and I did like this explorations program, which is essentially you're undeclared because I really had no idea what I wanted it's to do. Great, actually, for yeah, an ADHD yeah, it was brain. Cool. Yeah, it was cool. They offered a bunch of different classes in a bunch of different areas so I could kind of like check out and see what I was interested in. Then I declared sociology as my major. I think I did psychology for a hot second. I have a minor in psychology, so I've always liked psychology, which is very ADHD, to study people and why we do the things we do. And then I eventually landed on communication sciences and disorders, which is just a fancy way of saying speech language pathology. I've always been good with kids. Kids really like me. I've always loved language and writing. And so I think people were like, well, well, this could maybe fit you. And I tried it out and I liked it more than like anything else I had done in college thus far. And I went on to get my bachelor's in that. And then I took a couple years off and then I went to grad school for that um, at the University of Vermont and got my master's. And then I started working as a speech therapist can I, can I stop you for a second? Yes. So I'm curious, did you have that normal first year in college where, you know, the wheels came off the cart or <sighs> did everything go pretty smoothly? No, definitely the first one. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I think if I was not an undeclared major and I wasn't taking these kind of easier, basic, you know, intro courses, I think I would have maybe not failed out, but I would have had a much lower GPA and I would have really, really struggled. I was like, you know, I've, I've always been a big skipper of things, skipping class, skipping work sometimes. Um, I'm just skipping rocks. <laughs> yep. I'm just skipping all around. Uh, so, and I'll also, the other problem was that my childhood, one of my childhood best friends, Haley went to college with me. She was also undeclared. And we now know that she has inattentive type ADHD, which makes so much sense why we were always best friends. But she also didn't want to go to class and was kind of goofing off. We both just didn't have any skills. Like we hadn't really been taught skills. I was really, really skating by in high school. I didn't have any good study skills, any organizational skills. I would do like the bare minimum to get good grades. And so I think when I got to college, we were both like, woo, now we don't have to do anything we don't want to do. Yeah, no parents. You know, Yep. Yep. Like I remember one day even it was, you know, Maine is so snowy and cold and we had an 8 a.m. class. We started walking to class. We got about halfway there and we looked at each other. We're like, you want to just go home? And so we just turned around and went back to her dorm room and like got cozy in bed. And I think we watched Seventh Heaven and just didn't go to class. <laughs> so it was a lot of stuff like that. Um, yeah. So... Okay, I've got this question in the back of my head that I just have to ask you. So why did you not like sociology? Because I would think that'd be a really good ADHD major just because of how we, I don't know, we love people and the overview and, you know, making those connections. And mm. Yeah, I think I actually really did like sociology. Honestly, I don't, I might have even stuck with it if it wasn't for, you know, kind of outside influences asking me, you know, what are you going to do with this? What jobs are available? And it was very much like this isn't really a career. And I wish I had known what other opportunities there were within sociology. You know, it's you don't just become a sociologist and now you're just, right. you know, in a lab studying people or whatever. There are lots of different ways that you can apply that to the workforce and do, you know, some really interesting creative jobs. But I think I just had a very... I think I just had a very linear idea of, okay, you go to college and then you pick something that will end up in this specific job. And I wasn't really aware of 
how you could apply that to kind of more interesting niche jobs. Yeah, it's really um, interesting what you're saying because, um, you know, my son has an internship in New York in investment banking this summer. He's, he actually just started it this week. And he was saying that in these investment banking houses, it used to be that, you know, you had to be the finance major, you know, you had to have really good grades, you had to come from a really good school. And today, what they're doing is they're giving the potential hires these psychological pro, uh, tests for, you know, to develop like a psychological profile so that hmm. they try to match their most successful hires with a psychological profile that I guess is really similar in the interns. And because of that, they are looking for major, they want majors, you know, that are, you know, really diverse. And he was telling me that um, one of the popular majors is sociology. And I'm like, really? For investment banking? But it kind of makes sense, right? Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. And I actually, I ended up, um, so I went on to do UX writing for a year and I actually got that position, well, on top of uh, knowing someone who worked there, I also got that position because it had to do with, they were looking for someone to essentially write natural language generation. So for a website, you know, how can we put this in really natural, easy to understand language? And I was also working with uh, accessibility for people who are blind or low vision. And so it actually really came in handy that although I didn't have any type of degree in UX or, you know, technology. I'm really pretty bad at technology, actually, uh, even though I worked for Microsoft for a year. Um, they were looking for someone who kind of had more of a background in, you know, language or behavior health or disability and accessibility. And so that really actually surprisingly came in handy for that job. And that's something that I never would have considered could apply to these other fields. Yeah. Okay. So you get this master's degree and then you become a speech language pathologist. So what happened? Were you really excited about that particular career path? Like, did you love studying it? Um, I don't know if I've ever really loved studying anything <laughs> within an academic setting. <laughs> you know, I like to follow my own hyper-focuses and I'll go down the rabbit hole of reading about things and really obsessing and studying. But when it comes to like the structure of academia, I've always just had that kind of oppositional defiance of like, well, I don't want to mm. do that. So, <laughs> and also I, I, I don't know what it is about speech therapists. I don't, I don't think they're neurotypical. I don't know what it is, but most of the women in my class, both undergrad and grad school, they were all extremely type A. They were all, you know, part of every club and they were doing all the stuff for ASHA and they were, I don't know. I just always felt like, how does anyone have time for this? I can, I'm just trying to get myself to like go to class and get the work done. So I think I was happy to have a major that felt like, all right, people respect this and this will lead to a direct job. And I was excited to be able to work with kids and language, but it still definitely wasn't the right fit for me. So I think I was like excited to have something, but it definitely wasn't my ultimate passion. But I also just didn't really realize that at that age. So I was like, all right, this is good enough. And then I took two years off and I lived in Boston. I'm surprised I actually went back to grad school because it's really hard for me to get back into doing school because I already don't really want to do school. Um, but I did end up going and getting my master's for it. And that program was really fun. It was small. It was like 14 people. So that was really cool to have this direct relationship with your professors. And my program focused on stuttering. We had like the stuttering, the grandfather of uh, stuttering 
was one of our professors. And so that was really interesting. I, I mean, I still just like that psychology of speech therapy. When I look back at it, I really liked learning about stuttering and working with autism because I liked that next level. I don't just want to work with kids on how to say their R's or use prepositions. I really like understanding, okay, why is this happening? Why mm. has this person's stutter gotten so severe or, you know, things like that. And so I think I liked those aspects. And then even then in that program, I still felt like most of the women were just very different from me, or I guess I was different from them. In what way? I mean, was it the same kind of women that you were with before? Yes. It's actually an interesting observation of speech therapists because I've found that in my programs and then working as a speech therapist, almost all of them are very type A, which should have been kind of a red flag for me. Like, maybe this isn't the profession for you. Because once I got into the field, I realized just how much executive functioning is involved and how it's probably like one of the worst professions that I could have chosen looking back. There's just so many moving parts. You have to be in charge of, you know, essentially all of the students in the school. Any student at any time could need a speech eval, a language eval, articulation support. And so it wasn't just, you know, I have this fifth grade class or whatever. It was I have every student of every class, kindergarten through fifth grade. And that was really, really overwhelming for me. I just felt like I could never get on top of things. I really liked working with the kids. Like, I think I'm pretty creative with coming up with games and language and making it fun. My students always really liked me. But when it came to the more technical aspects of the job, like keeping on top of paperwork, writing IEPs, contacting parents. Oh God, calling parents. I, <laughs> that, that was like the number one thing for me that I would just put off and put off and put off. And sometimes I wouldn't do it and it was really bad and it made me feel really bad about myself. So I think. So tell, tell us what was so hard about that particular part of the job? Calling parents. Yeah. Mostly I, I mean, just don't like phone calls. <laughs> Okay, so it wasn't specific to the fact that you have to talk about these specific issues with the parents or, you know, that they were difficult. It was more just you hate making calls. Yes. I mean, some of it there, I definitely did have some difficult parents. One, when I worked at the school in Oregon, kind of like ruined my life a little bit and really just like ruined my time being a speech therapist there. And that's what's hard about working in the school system is that you have to deal with all these different elements that are really can be really unpleasant. You know, there's lack of funding. There's problem with teachers not being adequately trained on kids with disabilities, resources for those kids, parent input. Everything was just it felt kind of like you were being attacked on all sides sometimes almost when I really I was just there to like work with these kids and help them. And so that was really stressful. The calling the parents thing, I think it was just like such a small task on my forever to-do list that it kind of just always fell by the wayside because I just felt so overwhelmed with anything. It's like, how could I possibly even find time to make this phone call? So it just all, and I didn't really understand my ADHD at the time is the other thing. So I couldn't even oh, just wait, talk no, it up. We never talked about, so you were diagnosed at 24. So yes. wh when did that happen and why? So I got out of undergrad and I knew I had to go to grad school if I wanted to be a speech therapist because you need your master's degree. But I I was just so exhausted from schooling 
And I knew that I was having trouble with stuff. Like I would have to, you know, rewrite my notes over and over and over in order for it to like sink in. And so before I started grad school, I mentioned that to my doctor who I had been, who I had known for a long time. And so she probably was picking up on some of those elements before I did. But I told her that and she had me fill out like a little screener. And it was one of those things where I was like answering, you know, a scale of one to five. And I was answering fours and fives, pretty much fives for everything. And even then in my mind, I was like, but everyone feels this way. Wouldn't everyone put mm. a five down on this? Like, I just, I don't know. It's so weird to explain. And I've heard other women talk about it on your podcast. This weird thing of even when you're like working with ADHD, you're learning about it, you're working with the kids. It's so hard to see it in yourself for some reason, even when it's like right there in front of you. So she gave me a referral to a psychiatrist. and. I don't think I did like the huge lengthy diagnosis process because I think that would have maybe clued me in more to like, this isn't just inattention, quote unquote. This is a lot of different aspects of executive functioning and memory and emotional regulation. But she gave me a diagnosis, I don't know, somewhat quickly. And so I think I was just like, oh, and then she put me on meds. And I think I was like, all right, well, this will hopefully help me for grad school. And that was kind of it. That was like the end of the conversation. So did I they was work? taking them. They did. Yes, they did. So I was put on Vyvanse and I'm still on Vyvanse. Mm -hmm. um, so it definitely helped me get through grad school. But I wasn't taught any skills, which, you know, mm -hmm. is very important. You can't just put gas in the car. You also have to know where you're going and how to drive. Yeah. So I think I think the meds just allowed me to like push through things more. But it still didn't obviously give me any executive functioning skills. So I made it through grad school. I actually got a pretty high GPA and I did pretty well. But the whole time it was just like really, really forcing myself to get things done. I had no time management. So I somehow made it through. And the meds, I don't think I could have done it without the meds. But I do wish I had had that deeper understanding of it's not just medication. There are also like skills and things you can apply to this that will help you Absolutely. use this medication. So you you knew you had ADHD. Clearly, you were diagnosed. You were on medication. But literally, that's all you did. You didn't know anything more about how ADHD showed up in your own brain. No, it's so and weird. And I didn't. It. Yeah. And I, you would think that I would have like kind of gone down that rabbit hole of learning about it and really obsessing about it. But I think the information just wasn't even there. Like I hadn't read anything that really hooked me the way that you see things now, whether it's TikTok or your podcast or, you know, infographics on Instagram where you see something and you're like, wait a minute. And you have that light bulb moment. I think I just wasn't really interacting with anything like that. And so I didn't really question it. I always wondered if I was autistic because, you know, I always had this great relationship with the kids. They always loved me. I I just felt like I had this really strong bond with them. So I'd always go back and forth like, am I also autistic? Is that why I'm having this great connection? But looking back, it's because I'm ADHD. And so I think I, I mean, that's why I have a great connection with kids because I'm also neurodivergent. And I, you know, I also wish I had known that. I, yes, because the thing about it is what frustrates me so much is I 100% believe that some of our best educators have ADHD. But the problem is they're in this environment that is so damn linear. Like I'm listening to what you're saying about what you had to deal with. And I can't even imagine not only dealing with the administration, which, you know, 
honestly, 150 years and they're still doing things the same way, they are in the box for the most part. But then on top of that, I struggled to even be in classes with my kids and their kids and parents. Do you know what I mean? Because you then had parents that, you know, it was just all about the grades and they couldn't see what they were doing to their children with all their demands. And then beyond that, you'd have educators, teachers, right? Who, you know, well, these are the rules and this is how we're going to do it. And there was just no ability to see beyond their myopic lens of how things need to be. And so the frustration of having a parent, and I, you know, I had two kids, one played by all the rules, valedictorian, top of her class. You Thank God she was the first one because I'm not sure I would have had more. <laughs> but that's not true. That's not true at all. But I remember as a parent, looking at all these parents who were struggling with their kids and thinking, oh my gosh, why don't you guys get your crap together? You know, clearly there's something going on in the family. Now, <laughs> then I had my son, we raised him the exact same way, pretty much. And everything with him was so much more difficult. And so it was literally a slap in the face because I just assumed that, oh, the reason my daughter was so easy is because we were such amazing parents. It never dawned on me that kids are born the way they are, right? And what you do as a parent, of course it has impact, but it doesn't have nearly the impact that we want to believe it does as parents. So I can't imagine a more difficult environment to be in where I totally hear what you're saying. You're basically getting it from all sides especially when you're neurodivergent. And it's sad because I am certain you were an amazing teacher. Um, just, you know, honestly, just listening to your podcast and knowing who you are and how, you know, you can be where the kid is. And I think mm. that they, you know, people who, educators that can do that are the best educators because isn't really the goal to teach kids to love to learn? Yes, absolutely. I completely agree. And actually, that was something that led to a lot of shame for me when I was a speech therapist was that I was really bad at like doing things the correct way, quote unquote, and, you know, following the textbook and, you know, following these lesson plans. I never, never followed lesson plans. I usually didn't even write lesson plans because nothing ever goes to plan and you can't really prepare for it. And, you know, I'm a very fly by the seat of my pants person. But I always felt a lot of guilt about not doing things the right way. Like I should be, you know, checking with teachers more. I should really make these lessons apply to their direct work that they're doing in gen ed right now. And looking back, I'm actually really glad that I didn't have those skills because I think it would have hindered me a lot. I think my strength really comes from that creativity yeah. and that connection with kids. You know, I would do fun things like set up a fake like grocery store in my classroom and work on estimating numbers of how much something costs, practice on, you know, kind of those social exchanges. And even then I didn't even use like the autism programs for social skills, which I'm also glad I didn't because a lot of that is just trying to train kids to, you know, be good students and be compliant. Yeah. Pay, yeah. pay attention and yeah. sit down and be quiet and don't make a pest to yourself. Yep. And I, I never liked that. I never connected with it, uh, which makes sense once again, looking back. And so I really am glad that I 
wasn't able to kind of follow things the exact way I should have been doing it because I think it really helped me as a speech therapist. Um, I just wish I had understood really that I have ADHD because I think that could have also led to a lot more that I could have done for the kids. Mm. Well, but you didn't. So stop beating yourself up about it. <laughs> you're right. You're right. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. And I, I also, I am bummed that I kind of got burnt out of the school system so quickly. I was only in for four years mm. in like I was in prison. <laughs> I, I only served four years. Um, and I am bummed because I know it sucks when te- like these amazing teachers are the ones who end up leaving. Yeah. And, you know, then it leaves these kids without us. But I really just mentally could not do it anymore. I was just so frazzled, so burnt out. I felt like every time the school year ended, I'm like, thank God I somehow pulled that off. Wow. Well, I mean, it's all about emotion, right? And how you feel. Mm -hmm. And if it's that draining, you know, it is not the right fit. And it's just so sad that education and the schools lose someone as talented as you. So it, it just, it makes me sad. And I'm sure, you know, the uh, speech pathologists that were left, well, they do it by the book, but are they as effective? Hmm. I know in some, in Oregon, there were no uh, case or what is it? uh, Caps on how many kids you can have on your caseload. So I only had, not only, I had 48 kids on my caseload. And that was the lowest of any other speech therapist in the district. One of them had 110 kids on her caseload. Wow. And it's like, how how could you do anything for those kids at all? How could you give them any type of meaningful services? No. You're really just kind of checking a box when it gets to that point. Yeah, I almost feel like with all of these, you know, services, it's required, you know? The government says this is what you have yes. to do. And so, I mean, this has been my experience as a parent because it was all useless as far as I was concerned, just the way it was done. I'm sure it's not always like this at all, but that was my experience. And so it's almost like you said, you just checking the box to say, okay, I did this because we have to do it rather than, man, I mean, what we are so good at, and I know you definitely are so good at, is creativity. And I would think that creativity is so important in that profession. Absolutely it is. Yeah. So it's really just a bummer that, you know, if anything, I wish the job of speech therapist, you know, one person, aka me, would do kind of the more fun, hands-on stuff of working with the kids and someone else would just handle all the paperwork because that was really obviously where I got caught up. And it just sucks that that was the thing that really kind of killed my spirit was just how much stuff I had to do every single day. Yeah. And I hear that from teachers all the time as well, Mm. that it's the administrative details, you know, making sure, I don't know what, you have to like look through the books and whoever's name is on a certain book. And at the end of the year, you have to get all 35 books back. I mean, just like, oh my God, that just sounds like hell. All of those little kinds of details. Yes. Yeah. Being a classroom teacher also to me sounds like hell. As much as being a speech therapist was hard, I also cannot imagine being a classroom teacher. That also just seems so overwhelming. And then even more so, you're getting a lot of input from the parents. So I can't even imagine being in that position. I I Ugh. think I would have survived even less time. No. Yeah. And especially if you're a little oppositional, you know, and you yep. can see, you know, the direction that the parents are pushing their kids in is just, you know, they're basically traumatizing their kids. I, you know, we live in an area where um, 
I'm thinking of my my daughter's uh, high school, especially where it is just, you know, it, it's it's uh, very high income, and those parents they pay a good amount of money, and they expect that their kid is going to be at a certain level. And you know, we all know that just because you have high test scores and high um, uh, grades, you know, good grades, does not mean that you're any smarter. In fact, oftentimes I think you're not as smart as that kid who maybe struggles in those, you know, venues, but again, is so creative and just has so many, you know, new and different ideas. I mean, I, I just believe those are the people that move our world forward. So absolutely. Yeah. I just, the whole system is set up to me. Yeah. It just doesn't encourage any analytical thinking, complex Mm -mm. thinking. It's pretty much just, can you follow these rules? And I think that hinders, you know, so many children. Yeah. So, okay. So at 24, you were diagnosed and you were just kind of, you know, they gave you medication. That's all you were doing. What happened at 29? So at 29, when you were finally kind of put two and two together, were you already out of the school system? So I kind of found out I kind of discovered all this ADHD discourse online around the same time that a lot of people did once COVID hit in 2020. I was, st- I was working at a preschool here in Maine, and that was actually really nice for a bit. It was, you know, much smaller classroom. It was little kids. They all had language delays, developmental delays, and that was really fun. I always say that it kind of like healed my heart a little bit from the school system because the kids were just so sweet and even mm-hmm. more, like it was less paperwork and even more so I could do much more fun, hands-on stuff. So I love that. But even then, I was just really getting tired of being a speech therapist So I kind of discover I had truly it was like that light bulb moment of like, oh, like I have ADHD. (laughs) I I don't know. It's so weird to explain. But I think I saw something on TikTok, of course. And then I quickly came upon quickly came across your podcast and started, you know, feverishly listening to all your podcasts. And then it really was just clicking, clicking, clicking. And then you know, because of COVID, I ended up quitting that preschool job. It was the owner wanted to go back during un- unsafe conditions with these like medically fragile kids. And I just was not having that. Yeah. I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So I quit. And, and then the Microsoft thing kind of ended up happening. So I was really understanding ADHD right around the same time that I was starting that UX work. And so that definitely helped me like understand it and go into it with a different attitude than how I had approached work in the past because I had this, you know, next level of understanding of what I struggle with. And then I was able to put some things in place. I still had a hard time because the work was hard. I was stressed. It was COVID. And so I definitely didn't instantly like develop all these skills. And I still don't have (laughs) most of those skills, but it at least helped me take the shame out of it and really understand, oh, I do have these strengths and I have these gifts and maybe I could be the type of person who's like able to do this high level work. So yeah, that definitely changed a lot for me. Anything else that's changed since you were not diagnosed, but basically, you know, really understood the diagnoses? I know. I don't know what to refer to it as because I feel like I was diagnosed (laughs) at 29. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I should call it that. Um, Let's see. Well, obviously, so I started my own podcast, but really it just led to this huge spark of wanting to talk about ADHD all the time and really kind of like having fun with it, realizing that most of my friends and family members are also ADHD 
And that kind of actually pulled me back into that sociology world of like really looking at all the people around me and how we interact and how we've developed these great friendships and realizing like, oh, it's because we all are ADHD and that's why we have this fun connection, overlapping speech. We're not all great at friendship skills, but somehow we've all stayed friends, you know, for 25 years or whatever. So I think it just also kind of opened up my world of viewing people differently. I had a follow-up question, but it just literally flitted out of my brain. (sighs) You know how that goes. I do. So we've already, or I've already told the story of how you ended up producing my podcast. And maybe I shouldn't ask this question, but what's it like working for someone with ADHD compared to someone more neurotypical, like, uh, I guess, what, one of the principals in your school? (laughs) Oh, boy, you're going to regret asking that question. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. Uh, Working (laughs) for you is amazing. It's just... I don't want to seem like a total kiss ass, but it really is very, very nice to work for someone who has ADHD, talks about ADHD, knows that I have ADHD and is very understanding of, you know, what I might need a little help with or what I might need a little nudge in or how I do things. So that has really just taken a lot of the shame, I think, out of it for me. It, it was kind of like, oh, well, if someone like Tracy wants me to do this kind of work for her and like trusts me to organize things, maybe I am a little more organized than I think I am. And that kind of made me analyze those thought patterns of things that I just kind of accepted about myself of I'm a disorganized person and I always will be. The fact that I'm kind of somehow the organized one has really helped me with changing that thought pattern and has helped me release that shame so I am able to have a clear head and kind of try to put some systems in place for myself as opposed to just like kind of always being super anxious of just trying to catch up, catch up. And also it's just... Wait, okay, I want to say something. So you are so smart. You are so creative. You're a fantastic writer. But what I like most is you are completely reliable. So when people say, oh, ADHD people, they're so flaky, they're not good to work with, it's all about them, blah, blah, blah. I get so angry because, and I'll say this is for the most part, everybody with ADHD that I have had the opportunity to work with, you know, has been so interested, invested, and they understand that ultimately they're working a job. So of course you got to show up, you got to produce, but I really believe that if you get the right ADHD person who has that interest, right, there is truly no one better than someone with ADHD to work with. And I honestly think I've found the cream of the crop for, you know, this particular, you know, podcast producer job. And the thing about you is you know how to manage up because I know I am always going to be the bottleneck. I feel like I'm, I'm working on so many things. I can't keep up. So stuff falls through the cracks. And you're so organized. I mean, you're way more organized than I am. You've reorganized everything, all your little Google Sheets. And, you know, you're the one who moves the ball forward. You created all these systems that have literally been invaluable to me. And you also, you come up with ideas, but then you also charge forward in implementing them. So what stresses me out is, you know, when someone's always coming up with ideas, but then they don't ever get implemented. 
you know, I don't want to just talk about things because then it's in my brain that, oh gosh, that's one other thing I want to do that we didn't get, you know, we didn't get to do. I want to make sure they get implemented. And so if we're just talking, you know, again, it's more stuff out there that I don't want to do, that I want to do. I know I want to do it, but I can't move it forward. And you have this way of reminding me of what you need um, to get something done, or you just move forward with it and you find what you need and you are never irritating. So you have literally (laughs) changed my podcast life. And the fact that you ever thought that I mean, you are just so good. Yeah. You're, you're completely overqualified. Like until I started prepping for this podcast. Um, well, okay. Anyway, let me just stop there. Uh, Thank you. That means, that means a lot to hear you say all that stuff. And if I had heard you say all of that a year ago, I would have been like, who is she talking about? But really, because I am so interested in this work, I was so excited about your podcast. I was, you know, really, really just trying to take in as much ADHD information as I could. So then to get the opportunity to produce for you was like, you know, the golden ticket. And that really, that interest has really helped me with longevity. I'm usually very bad at longevity with any job, really. You know, the first four months are really good and I'm excited about it. And then I inevitably, you know, something happens and then I feel like not putting in the effort that I was and it kind of just goes downhill. And that's really stressful for me, honestly, is to maintain things long term. I just feel like I'm not good at it. But with this job, I mean, it's been a year and I'm still around. So that's a good sign. But really, I've just kept that excitement for this work for this whole year, which has never happened. Wow. So, yeah. So I'm really thankful to you for taking a chance on me. So it really for you is about interest. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. I guess I can really relate to what you're saying, especially around the subject of ADHD. And do you think it's because we just have this innate need to understand ourselves? And so when we can do work, Like I've done so much work on understanding myself, but I was just thinking the other day, I still feel like there's so much more work to do, right? And it always interests me to learn more about myself and of course, Mm. other people with ADHD, but you know, it starts with wanting to figure this out for yourself, wanting to figure out your brain. Yes. Yeah. I'm all about trying to figure myself out. I'm, I've had to work a lot on controlling myself when I come across someone else with ADHD or, you know, it's someone in my family who doesn't realize I have to stop myself from blurting out, you're ADHD. But to (laughs) me, it's so obvious. It's so obvious once you see it and you see kind of those more subtle characteristics that you would never previously identify as ADHD. I see them all so clearly now. And all I want to do is, you know, tell people, or have them, I guess, come across this information and realize for themselves that they have ADHD because it's been so powerful for me. It's really just changed my entire life, changed how I interact with myself and how I understand myself. So all I want to do is just like let all the ADHDers know that they are ADHD. Exactly. Exactly. And I, I mean, I really believe that, you know, underneath all of this is this need that we have to make the world a better place you know, to, to help. I I don't know. Once we know, it's like we are on this mission to get out there and make sure other people know too, you know, that ripple effect. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So now I remembered what my other question was when I forgot it. Oh, I don't know, 15 minutes ago. 
so this is my question. How does it happen that someone who did the kind of work that you did, how is it, and you were diagnosed with ADHD, how is it that you didn't make more of a connection? You weren't able to make more of a connection around ADHD and how it affected you? Because I'm assuming you would get kids with ADHD as well, right? Yes. Yes. I definitely worked with other ADHD kids. And you could see how they were behaving. Yes. When you were working with them. Yeah. And I actually did recognize some of their behaviors, you know, in myself as well. So I don't know. I, I always think about it like, what the hell? It was right there. But I really just think it was that mental barrier of A, not really evaluating myself or not really look, you know, the introspection we struggle with. And mm-hmm. until we discover it, I feel like we have trouble with introspection until we discover it. And then it's like, this is now we're going to have too much introspection. But I think I just wasn't really looking at myself in that way. And I also had just, you know, the outdated idea of ADHD that it was purely the hyperactivity and inattention. And that was it. Because I was, you know, questioning myself of am I autistic? Because I did relate to some of the things that my students have. But then other things I didn't relate at all. And so I kind of went back and forth of, no, I don't think that's quite it. But it wasn't really, all right, then let's look at ADHD. It was like, I don't know, in my brain, it was like either you're neurotypical or you're autistic. And I didn't really realize there was this other other category of ADHD that was so much more than just what it looks like on the surface. It's also, you know, the executive functioning. And so I just didn't really ever, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't consider it for some reason because I was like, well, you're not autistic, so you must just be neurotypical. And that was kind of the end of the end of the mental conversation. So, so I don't know. Yeah. So when you were studying, well, did you study ADHD in school? Was there any, anything about that? I mean, because you're talking about challenges, right? Hmm. Yeah, I think we touched on it in grad school. I mean, part of the problem is that I was not, I really was not a great student in some aspects, you know, so maybe we did cover it at length and I just didn't pay attention. I don't think we did though. I think it was more, you know, a mention of behavior management for your classroom of Mm -hmm. kind of what, you know, how to work with those hyperactive kids. But I don't remember many conversations about the next level of ADHD. Like, I don't remember any aspect of my schooling talking about ADHD in the way that they were talking about autism, which, you know, they're obviously different, but there are Mm -hmm. similar elements in some ways of how you would structure a lesson for this kid or what skills to work on. So I just don't, I don't think there was much of a conversation about ADHD beyond the classroom management and how to kind of you know, give them wiggle seats and how to kind of manage that hyperactivity. We just didn't really go deeper into it. That's interesting. So it was the outward effects of the behavior versus what was going on with them inside, trying to understand someone with ADHD and why they do what they do. Yes. And it's a bummer because I feel like if they had played, you know, one episode of your podcast, then I would have made that connection because I really did make it so fast once I was shown those other elements of ADHD that aren't really talked about. I really had a very quick connection of like, oh, that's what's happening. But it just, I was never really shown any of that and I didn't really know to go seek it out. So yeah, I don't know. 
but hmm. I'm glad I finally discovered it. Yeah, well, I'm glad you finally discovered it too, because if you hadn't, um, I wouldn't know you. <laughs> <laughs> I know, so, and I'd probably still be trying to be a speech therapist and having a terrible time. Yeah. So, Grace, until I started prepping for this podcast, I did not even know you had a podcast. Did you tell me about this? Speaking of shame. I think I told you about it back in October when we started it. It was just a quick Voxer message. My mom had me all nervous that like, oh, well, you're going to, you know, you're starting a podcast and make sure you tell Tracy and make sure it's okay. So the fact that you didn't even remember me telling you is actually nice because she just had me all worried about it. I'm like, mom, trust me, I'm not any type of competition for Tracy. Oh, no, she's not going to be worried. Oh, my gosh. Because part of the deal with us is we have to be able to do what we really want to do, right? Mm. We can't let other people stop us or make us question. We just got to do it. And I, it's just, I felt bad because, so I told Grace that I didn't know she had this podcast. I didn't know it was on ADHD. And so I listened to a bunch of the episodes. And the thing is, I was only planning on listening to like one or two, right? Like the beginning one and then something, you know, just so I'd know, because I feel like I have to do that. But the fact that you work for me and I didn't know that, I was like, oh my gosh, you don't listen. Tracy, you don't mm-hmm. listen. And I started listening to it. And it is so adorable. You guys mm-hmm. are, well, and I've said this to you before, Grace. So Grace sent me a, we were talking about, she said, I think that you need to do some sort of like advertising on your podcast because for those who don't know, it is so much work and it is really expensive. And, you know, when you're doing everything, it it's all you have time to do. And it could be so much better if we had more help. So she was saying, I think that we should do some some sort of advertising on it. And my thing was like, well, I can't do any advertising if it's not something I really, really believe in. And so we've been going back and forth about this. And Grace said, well, I do these, she kept saying, I do these, what do you call them? Fake commercials? Yeah, I call them (laughs) fake commercials. And I'm like, what is she talking about? And so she sent me two, and it took me probably a week to finally even figure out what it is and to listen to it. But I was just dying. It is so funny. Okay, I'm going to play it right now. Have you accidentally shared some of your best inventions on a podcast because you insist on telling strangers your every waking thought and now someone with a little bit of dopamine has turned that idea into a legitimate business plan and you feel you deserve a cut of the profits based on absolutely nothing? Hi, I'm Jessica Campbell-Shires. And I'm her sons. Just because you had no intention of ever following through on those ideas does not mean you are not entitled to compensation. Here at Campbell Shirts and Sons, we believe that thinking up half-baked ideas and vague concepts is just as hard as planning, starting, and running a successful business. And we will manipulate the justice system in any way we can to prove it in a court of law. In fact, we are so confident that if we don't get you at least 50% of that business, well, that is on you because we tried our best. Contact the pod offices of Campbell Shirts and Sons today, where my boys and I will fight for you the way we had to fight that raccoon at the water park after it got into my cousin's angel dust. Remember that, boys? Call us now. <laughs> what the holy hell? So she sends uh, me this little audio clip, and I'm like, what are you doing? But now that I listen to the podcast, the podcast is basically like that, right? It's mm-hmm. just yep. the two of you. And 
the relationship that you have with Kristen. Well, first of all, I want to say that listening to the podcast and listening to how you two go back and forth and relate to each other really gives a good glimpse into how we talk as ADHD people, where you're just going in and out and bouncing off of each other and you both are so funny. And I don't know how much editing you do, but it's it's almost like you neither one of you ever misses a clip. It is so cute. You guys remind me of a cross between Zoe Deschanel, which is probably you and your voice. And then who is that act? Um, she's a comedian. Um, the one who, I don't know, had that Donald Trump's bloody head and she got canceled. What's oh, is that name? Kathy Griffin? Kathy Griffin. <laughs> and it's just, you have the cutest relationship because you understand each other. You're allowed to talk all over each other, but you do it in a way that's so funny. And I just, it was just charming. And I want to know, like, what made you decide to do this? <laughs> oh, well, thank you. That means a lot to have you say that because it's really, you know, it's so ridiculous. Our podcast is just really absurd, as you can tell by that clip. Um, Kristen and I have been best friends and neighbors since we were, you know, little, little kids. We grew up next door to each other. So we've known each other since we were about four We've kind of, we went to college together. I moved to Oregon and then she moved to Washington. And then now we're both back here. And we've always had this really fun goober relationship. And she has been, even more than me, she's always been like very obviously ADHD. But it was one of those things where everyone just said it like, oh, Kristen, she's ADHD. But no one <laughs> took the next step of like, maybe we should look into that and do something. So we've kind of always been these two little weirdos together. And then once I realized I was ADHD, I was like, obviously, Kristen is ADHD. And we just had these great conversations about it. She was also learning so much about it. And I've always I've always been really into podcasting. I love listening to podcasts. I listen to, you know, true crime and comedy podcasts. And I also just really liked having these conversations with people. And I found it really important to kind of talk about just day-to-day -day life with ADHD. You know, there's so many podcasts out there like yours and many others, not saying you're all the same, but you, you know, it's about teaching about these things and, you know, getting advice and kind of hearing how people have done these amazing things as ADHDers. We kind of wanted to talk about just the more ridiculous little things that kind of pop up in our lives that, you know, whether it's like little quirks quote unquote, that we have that we call them or just kind of shitty little things that we've done throughout our lives. Just these little fun elements of ADHD and like kind of building this community that there aren't as many places for. So I think we just realized like, oh, we have a lot of fun with this. Let's just try it out. So I have learned how to do pretty much everything. Kristen is a uh, surgical PA, physician's associate. So she works, she does surgery and she, you know, is very busy and important. <laughs> so I said I would kind of learn how to do everything and she just has to show up and, you know, we collaborate on things, but it's mostly me doing all the editing and producing. And I do edit quite a bit, like sometimes too much where I, my perfectionism takes over and I need to like step back from it. But I really have learned so much about every aspect of podcasting since I started it. And 
it's just so much fun. You know, we record every Monday. She comes down to my house and kind of just have this full day. And we have guests on sometimes. We've, you know, so far had on a few of our friends who are also ADHD. And it's just been a lot of fun to kind of take some of the shame out of these ADHD behaviors and turn them into, you know, something that we can kind of like laugh about and commiserate about and also celebrating our strengths. We do something called little accomplishments where we celebrate those littler things that you wouldn't necessarily think of as accomplishments. We just really like to associate dopamine with those things and let other ADHD listeners know that your idea of productivity or achievement can be totally different from what you think it has to be. Again, it is um, such an interesting window on how the ADHD brain works. I mean, you both know so much about, well, I don't know how much you know, but you talk about so many different things that are so random, but you have all these interesting facts and it's it's actually, and, and the way you weave in and out of, you know, you're talking about ADHD, but then you're talking about, what was it, platypuses? <laughs> Mm, yep, but then yep. you get all these interesting facts on platypuses. And I mean, the way you move in and out is is really charming. And all I can say is that you are both so lucky to have the relationship that you have where since you were five years old, you had someone who you could totally be yourself with and you understand each other. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that really changed everything for me growing up. I you know, I had Kristen and then I actually have a good group of friends growing up that all, I think most of them are the ones I'm still super close with, all have ADHD. And so while many of us struggle with those friendship skills a lot of the times, I actually think I was kind of saved from that because all of my friends were also ADHD. And so it wasn't like this glaring, obvious, you know, lack of being able to keep up with friends or whatever, because we all kind of fall off the grid and forget to text each other back and then pop up, you know, a month later and it's like nothing ever happened. So I think that really was kind of my saving grace growing up is having this really nice group of really weird <laughs> friends that I never really felt like I was, you know, super different from people socially. I knew I was, but I always had this like comfort group and that was really nice. And we kind of all have this non-linear thinking, the overlapping speech. I just love that. I love having overlapping speech. I love kind of, like you said, weaving in the conversation and jumping in with whatever pops into your mind. And that's why we call it an ADHD adjacent podcast. <laughs> we didn't want to set ourselves up with like someone coming to the podcast thinking that they're going to just learn strictly ADHD information. We really wanted it to be not just about ADHD, but also about us as two people who have ADHD and what that looks like and kind of how our minds work. And yeah, I feel like it's a really good example of how ADHD shows up in people. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was, I, I thought it was so, so charming and you guys are really funny. I mean, you should take this show on the road. Yeah. We've talked about actually, if we were to do a live performance. So right now, we we call it our pod loft, but it's really three felt curtains in my parents' basement. We kind of have a little song about three felt curtains in my parents' basement. But we've created this little like pod studio in the basement. And we have, you know, our three felt curtains are orange, yellow, and magenta. And we've talked about if we ever did do our podcast live, that would be kind of our setup for us on the stage behind us would be our three felt curtains. So we felt kind of like we were here home in the pod loft. <laughs> so what surprised you most about starting your own podcast? Because I mean, clearly you had been 
intimately involved with mine. So you knew something before you started. And maybe you, did you have podcasts before? No, I had never done anything with podcasting before. So, you know, I've always, I'm like a really hardcore listener of podcasts, but I had never done it before. Kylie, Kylie's one of my close friends from college. So when you reached out to her asking her about, you know, someone to help you manage your podcast, she and I collaborated with that. She's she has her own podcast also, Dark Down East. It's like a main true crime podcast and she's just she's not ADHD. So she is very very good at, you know, designing these courses and coming up with this whole, you know, system of organization. So she kind of helped me learn how she does things, but also with the room for me to make it flexible and turn it into what you and I really needed to do because her system is not going to work for you or for me. Mm -hmm. So that was a really good starting point to have her structure and then be able to kind of turn it into more of what we needed. Like, for example, you know, Jenna, Jenna Kushner, who Kylie produces for, she does six interviews in a day. And that is I don't know how she does that. Unsustainable. I have no idea. I can't even fathom it. So that definitely gave me a good solid foundation of like understanding kind of the ins and outs of how the production side of things works. But then when I started my own, I realized just how much work it is and also how exhausting it is, even just (laughs) with, you know, me and Kristen goofing around. It's not nearly as like serious as yours or we don't really have to, you know, prepare as much as yours. And even then, even just us being goobers is so draining And so I don't even know how you do, you know, I could, I'm sorry I ever scheduled two interviews for you in one day because it really is, you wouldn't think it, it's so much work. And also then the editing side of things, I knew I had some problems with perfectionism and kind of, you know, worrying about putting myself out there. I've always liked comedy and I've always kind of been funny, I guess. feels weird to say that about myself, but I never really had the guts to kind of try to take it to the next level, put myself out there, have people hearing me. I just really didn't even like to hear my own voice recorded. And now I couldn't care less, you know? So that has really been so helpful to help me get over myself, I think. Uh, Just do it. You know, at least you're doing something. And I always say, you can't be embarrassed if you're not embarrassed. (laughs) So (laughs) uh, I've really worked hard and I've learned so much about like, stop taking yourself so seriously And maybe you can do something with comedy. Maybe you can be funny. And so, yeah, that I really just have learned so much about myself, so much about I've never worked so hard for anything in my life, like truly at all, not even close. I've never been so motivated to do something on my own. And I've never been such a big self-starter as I am with the podcast. So that really has also given me a lot of confidence in myself and has helped me see myself as, you know, someone who is creative and someone who can do this kind of work. You know, and what you're saying too is that, and I think this is pretty much all of us with ADHD, we are not meant to fit in, but we spend our entire life trying to do that. And then we wonder why we're miserable. No, we need to stand out because when you get yourself to stand out, it really builds courage. You don't start with the courage. You have to do the scary thing and that's what creates the courage. And so next time you can do even more. I also think that you're not just funny you're actually clever, which is, you know, that's so much better than funny. I, you're, you're really talented, Grace, honestly. Thank you. 
Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah, it's I do feel like I've kind of expanded my ability to write with more of a comedy style. I, you know, it's I write my I write the show notes for the podcast and I spend hours and hours on them because I'm, you know, just need to get the wording exactly right. But I love it. And I didn't really realize just how much I would love something like that. So, yeah, I really and that's a great way to put it, that the courage doesn't come first. And I think that's something that I didn't understand Mm -hmm. until I started my own podcast where I would always kind of tell myself, like, all right, once you get to this, you know, made up future point of when you'll have this confidence, then right. you can do it. And then you can make sure that you're not going to do anything embarrassing or say anything that you regret. And it was and then I I don't know why. I think COVID changed changed me a lot. It just got me to, you know, look at myself and look at how I thought and why I did things. And I just decided to go for it, I guess. And it really has just totally built up my confidence. It was, you know, a bit of a learning curve and it did take me a little bit to like be able to sleep at night (laughs) after I would release an episode. I would just be staying up at night, like just playing everything over my head. Like, I can't believe I said that. That was so stupid. But I've really moved on from that. And now people will ask me like, isn't it, you know, do you hate hearing your own voice? Is it hard hearing yourself talk? And it's really not. And I never thought I would say that, but I'm pretty much over that. And I, it's just so much fun to, you know, we're, we're a pretty small podcast, but our friends listen to it. Some of Kristen's coworkers at her hospital listen to it. There's like surgeons yeah, who that. listen to the doctor. it. <laughs> yeah, which is like, I try well, not to I think, think some too people much. would like it. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. His review. I can see how some people would like it. So we're not for, <laughs> we're not for everyone. <laughs> and it is weird to think about like these big surgeons listening to our goober podcast. But it really is fun to have this little community that we've built up. Like Kristen's coworker, her wife, she has ADHD and she loves the podcast. And now she kind of like treats Kristen like a celebrity and, you know, she fangirls over us. So I really enjoy that. I just love connecting with other ADHDers. I think we're just all so creative and silly. And it's just like you kind of just get that excitement like butterflies in your stomach when you get to have that connection with someone else and you're you're both you know, making connections and understanding each other and having that overlapping speech. And I just love it. I love, you know, this little community that we've built. Yeah, because when you stand out and you have the guts to stand out, people find you and know that you're their people, right? Yes. And even people from high school that, you know, before I might have been worried, like, I can't believe, you know, someone that I knew growing up is going to listen to this. But we've actually gotten some good responses from like <laughs> random people that we went to high school with who have ADHD that I didn't even really realize. And so that's yeah. cool, too, to just have these people reaching know. out and finding connection with us. I Yeah, I just love Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I think courage, too. When we have the courage to do that scary thing, guess what? It creates dopamine, right? You feel really good after you do it. Yes, absolutely. And I I just saw something. I can't remember who said it, but they were saying if you're not embarrassed about like what you did last year or things you said last year, then you're not growing. So you're never going to avoid embarrassment. You know, you're always going to be kind of having those things in the back of your mind like, oh, I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. But Ah. I do think that putting myself out there has helped me move on from that much more quickly where it's like you don't need to be perfect. You're never going to be perfect. People don't expect that from you. And if you do embarrass yourself or whatever, that's okay. Move on. Learn how to just like let it go. So that is also, I yeah, I've just learned so well, much. Because the thing about it, Grace, is 
everybody's so focused on themselves, they don't even know what it is, Mm. right? That you supposedly did that's so bad or so embarrassing. They don't have a clue. Only you are thinking about it. Exactly, exactly. So I remind myself of that, that like, once again, get over yourself. No one's like (laughs) sitting at home thinking, oh my God, I can't believe Grace said that. It's so embarrassing. They (laughs) they either, you know, they either wouldn't say that or they're not listening to the podcast. And that's what's nice about having such a kind of weird out there podcast is like that surgeon said, you know, I can see how some people would like it. We're not for everyone. And I don't want to be for everyone because I'm not for everyone. And I like that. I like that the people we bring in are kind of fellow weirdos like us. Yep. And the people that don't relate to us, they're not going to listen to this podcast. Okay. One last question. Yes. What do you think the key to living successfully with ADHD is? I definitely think it's all about creativity, following your creativity, following your passions, trying to work that in as much as you can into your life, even if you can't, you know, quit your job and go work on a movie set or whatever. Even just things like, you know, this position that I do for you, while it is some other elements of work that I have struggled with in the past, like organization, scheduling. Oh, God, that's hard for me. But you're so good at that. Quit saying that. You're so good at it. Way better than I am. (laughs) Well, you don't see the behind the scenes of me scrambling every week, but thank you. I'm glad it looks clean and polished from the outside. But even if I can't just follow my creativity and, you know, do something purely artistic, you can still work those elements of things you're excited about, like into your life, like, you know, doing this job for you. I still get to talk about ADHD. You're excited about ADHD. The guests that you have on are incredible. I learned so much. It's just such a fun opportunity for me to get to do this. And that really has changed my relationship with work. So I think incorporating those passions in as much as we can, because that's our motivator. And if we don't have it, everything will fall apart. And then also just being more comfortable with being your weird self. You know, we are weird. We are different. We have these really creative, nonlinear ways of thinking And I think we just get so stuck in this comparison to everyone else and to other people. And we try to fit into this box, but that's not where we shine. And if we can let go of that fear of being different, then I think that's when, you know, we really see our strengths. Brilliant. I want to follow that up with, at the very beginning, you kept talking about, you know, you were looking for a career that leads to, well, you wanted to study something that would lead to a direct job. And it sounds like what you've discovered is that really is not the way that an ADHD person should be looking for a job or should be looking for a career, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't think it should for the most part. Actually looking for a major. Good Lord. The third time I'm going to get it right. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I, I found that I really just, I struggle with being like a quote unquote expert in one specific area because there's so many concrete steps that you have to achieve to become this like textbook expert in this area. And now I realize that will never be me and I don't want it to be me because I can't just focus in one area and okay, this is all I do. I need to do something that even if I were to do, you know, the same job forever, which I don't see myself doing ever, but even then there have to be, there has to be elements of being able to kind of go down these different paths of your interests and uh, just following that passion. So yeah, I can't remember where I was going with that. (laughs) Well, but it sounded good. So (laughs) where can people find out uh, more about you? So you can check out my personal Instagram. It's at Grace Minna. 
M-I-N-N-A. It's my middle name. And then you can also check out Weirds of a Feather. We're on Instagram at Weirds of a Feather. We, you know, do weekly polls. We do weird posts. You can listen to us on all the podcast platforms. And then uh, I, I was going to start a Facebook page prior to this interview so I could <laughs> so I could put that in the show notes, but I did not get around to it. But uh, fingers crossed, hopefully by the time this episode comes out, you can find us on Facebook at Weirds of a Feather. I'm guessing that name has not been taken yet, hopefully. I can't imagine it would. <laughs> okay, so this yeah. is all going to be in the show notes. Yes. So Grace, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. It has been an absolute delight. Oh, and you know what, Grace? So you've been working with me for a year. This is, you know, this is the kind of <laughs> the kind of boss I am. I didn't even realize <laughs> that. So, Grace, I think you need a raise. <laughs> All right. I mean, I'm not going to argue with that. <laughs> Glad I brought it to your attention. Yeah, uh, me too. <laughs> so, again, thank you so much for spending time with us here today. Um, it was such a delight. And I am going to, we're going to, what is it called? Lead out? Is that what it's called? We're going to lead out with um, your intro to your podcast, which is so cute with the little ukulele. Is that oh, our is little it a ukulele? Intro song? Yep. Yeah, that's my dad playing the ukulele. <laughs> so, cute. so we're going to lead out with that little ditty, which I guess is the intro Aww. to your podcast. Yes. Thank you so much for having me on, Tracy. It's so fun to finally get to be on this side of things for your podcast. And this has just been, you know, a dream, a delight. So thank you. Absolutely. They said that we'd grow out of it. Well, the joke's on them. That's just our brains. We're eccentric, loud, and stubborn. And most of our clothing is covered in stains. It's not a deficit of attention. There's just too much to think about. So if executive dysfunction becomes a little too much, if you forgot why you came in this room or you're hypersensitive to touch then put on your seamless socks and come join our little flock bitches stimming together we're weirds of a feather weirds of a That's what I have for you for this week. If you like this episode with Grace, please let us know by leaving a review. Our goal is to change the conversation around ADHD, helping as many women as we possibly can learn how their ADHD brains work so that they too may discover their amazing strengths. And you know what? Your reviews really do help in that regard. As always, you're listening to ADHD for Smartass Women. Come join me over at tracyoutsuka.com. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you here next week. You've been listening to the ADHD for Smartass Women podcast. I'm your host, Tracy Outsuka, and we're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Not coincidentally, ADHD for Smartass Women, it's also the name of our free Facebook group. We're a totally smartass community of successful, ambitious women who share our ADHD wins, questions, and workarounds. Join us at tracyoutsuka.com, where you can also find more information on our Your ADHD Brain is A-OK system. 
I spy a happier life for us. And I'll see you again next week.